Between back to school and sports, my kids are all about their snacks this time of year, but finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that also won't break the bank isn't always easy. That's why I love Thrive Market, an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. We're all about the Lara Bar, cinnamon sunflower seeds, and the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds. But Thrive Market is so much more than snacks. They have organic and essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. I'm always trying to get more fruits and vegetables and real foods in my kids' diets, but I don't have a lot of time. So quick and simple options are a must. That's why I love the Vitamix. Unlike other blenders, the Vitamix blends everything up into a super smooth consistency, much like a juicer would, except you get all the nutritious fiber that regular juicers leave behind. And what I love most is that it isn't just for smoothies. Every Vitamix has an entire range of textures to choose from, so you can use it to make dips and spreads, nut and seed butters, hummus and guacamole, muffins, pizza dough, plant-based milk, and frozen treats. Vitamix has been around for 70 years and all of their blenders are powerful, durable, and built to last and come with a full warranty. To get free shipping off any Vitamix purchase over $50, just go to my website, julierevelant.com slash shop and click on Vitamix. This is Food Issues. In every episode, we bring you experts to tackle the real challenges around feeding kids and offer practical insight to help organizations, communities, and parents create change. I'm your host, Julie Revelon. Baby food has come a long way from jarred peas and carrots, but are the new options really any better? With innovation came a whole slew of new problems. That's Katie Thompson, a registered dietitian and co-founder and CEO of Square Baby, which has been described as the blue apron of baby food. Katie spent her career pioneering nutrition strategy for some of the biggest and most respected brands and was the first nutritionist for Starbucks working to shape their first health and wellness strategy. We'll talk about sugar in baby food, why most brands fall short, and how you can find the best options for your baby. So Katie, welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. I have read a lot about Square Baby, and I'm really excited that you're here. So let's talk about your story. You know, why did you become a registered dietitian? And tell me about your career path and how you came to found Square Baby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yes, so I'm a registered dietitian and got my master's in nutrition, but Prior to that, growing up, um, I was always interested in health and nutrition, Um, wanted to be a pediatrician, actually. So my undergrad was in pre-med, clearly had a focus on infants and children health, um, but found myself to be really passionate about 
um, nutrition. So that is what kind of uh, changed my course from from medicine to nutrition. Um, and I actually got my start out in my career at what I would call my dream job, other than you know having the opportunity to launch my own company, which was a dream I never even knew I had. Um, Right after I was done with my master's program, I got married um, six weeks later and had this opportunity to work at Starbucks uh, at the headquarters there for a three-week contractor role. And um, it was like the nerdiest position ever. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really just wanted me to come in and crunch numbers. Um, so you, know, you probably know that you know there's many dietitians behind the nutrition facts panels and things that are uh, all the calories and, and fat grams that are posted in brochures and online. And, and Starbucks had committed to having all of their nutrition information posted, um, but had no idea really what that entailed. So I came in and literally sat at a computer that had no internet. I don't think I had a phone number. I definitely didn't have my own email. I sat in a lab, a back laboratory that nobody was using, like the R&D labs. And I crunched numbers all day long. and and I still loved it. I loved it because I was a part of something, you know, so big to be a part of a company like Starbucks, right? Um, and even though the job itself was was quite um, tedious in a way, right? Knowing that I was providing information that was helpful in, you know, making healthier choices, et cetera, um, was something I loved. But basically what happened there in that three weeks is I tried to um, figure out how I could extend this. How could I show them what a dietitian can do beyond crunching numbers in the back room. So I um, ended up staying there for six and a half years and um, was very thankful for the opportunity to help uh, help nutrition become one of the four strategic pillars of the company. I was working alongside R&D, um, creating nutrition standards that, and ingredient standards that they had never had before, um, helping develop new products. And then eventually making my way onto more marketing, um, innovation, and strategy teams to help really get at the forefront of, of you know, what um, the portfolio and the menu really should look like for the Starbucks customer. Anyway, I'm getting a little long-winded about that. but No, that's great. Um, it sounds it was, exciting. Yeah. No, it was, it, was, it was an incredible job and certainly one that kept me on my toes and something that I learned so much from because my experiences were so vast and, and varied. Um, and I had my first baby in 2008 while working at Starbucks and one of those, was one of those moms who, you know, got up super duper early and got the, you know, pumped and got you know, bottles ready and all the things took, toted my baby to, to work each day, um, was, was pretty overwhelmed by that, um, you know, by the schedule and, and everything that was, you know, asked of me and that kind of thing. But I did really enjoy it. Um, but then when it came to introducing solids, um, I didn't have the time to make my own baby food. That was for sure. So I cruised the baby food aisle and uh, was looking for solutions, right, as, as any mom does. And, and mind you, again, this is about 2009 when my son was starting solids. Um, and that's when my true passion for baby food started. What did you discover there? Yeah, so I think part of it is, you know, being a dietitian and especially um, in the beginning of my role at Starbucks, I sat on the regulatory affairs team. So that's the um, 
making sure that every claim on the packaging is correct. The nutrition facts panels were correct. Um, but really, regulatory affairs works very closely with marketing to make sure that anything that the product, you know, the product images, the names, um, you know, the wording that you use is all kind of within legal parameters. And so I really learned how products were marketed um, through that job and how you could kind of, how companies can wiggle their way through um, saying what they'd like to say without, uh, you know, breaking any of the rules from a regulatory standpoint, right? So understanding that healthy, for example, has a, a true definition that is very regulated, whereas nutrition has no meaning. So you could say something's very nutritious and that's not a regulated, regulated term. So kind of a nerdy um, uh, rabbit hole there that I just went down. But I'm, I'm saying this because I kind of went down the aisle with that lens of kind of how I look at product packaging. And I'm always, you know, flipping over the containers and, and looking at the ingredient statements and kind of reading through some of the, the BS marketing that might be on the shelf, right? But also thinking about um, how other consumers who maybe aren't, um, you know, don't have that background or, or maybe even just don't even have the time to sit there and read all the labels, you know, what their experience might be as a shopper. Um, and especially for your first baby, you're just looking for help, right? You're right. looking for answers. You're trying to make all the right decisions. Here you are with this, you know, infant here who's having the first foods of their lives. You want to make sure they have the right nutrition. And what I found was a sea of um, sameness, really a, a bunch of one-off products that to me left me wondering in general, how do I know that he's gotten enough veggies today and enough protein? Um, I mean, obviously the, the aisle, the baby food aisle then um, looked a little different than it does today. It was a lot, it was dominated by Gerber and Nurse Best and Beechnut. Plum and Happy Baby were just starting to come out then. Um, but certainly, you know, we expected in the baby food aisle that these were going to be shelf-stable jars. It's not like we thought you know, that we were going to go look for some amazing culinary experience in that aisle, right? We were there yeah. because we, we needed the convenience. So that, you know, uh, while that was an opportunity uh, for change, certainly wasn't as much of a letdown as I thought that no company was really trying to help me out in that moment. Nobody was trying to solve the, the worry of how do I know I've given my kid what he needs today? And really, how do I know what's in this jar, this pouch? It says, you know, turkey dinner, or it says kale and quinoa. But you, you know, you come to see that many of the products are unbalanced. Many of them are especially now very, very fruit heavy. And so they might be marketed in a way that makes you feel like you're giving this kiddo, you know, a very balanced meal. And, you know, these, uh, the products are kind of saying all the right things like purple carrot and... right. <laughs> Right. All, all the thing, all the buzzwords that you're looking for. And then you realize, wow, you know, purple carrots after blueberry natural flavor. Right. So there's no purple carrot in there. So this is really the fire really started in me to create a solution for parents. So it wasn't just how do I make the healthiest product for parents, but how do I solve for how do I feed my kid, you know, the best nutrition that they need each day. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. I think when you become a new mom, there's really not a lot of information about what to feed your kid. And even the pediatrician will just kind of say, yeah, start with rice cereal, right? And there's blogs out there, but who has time to look through all of that and try to figure out the right balance of nutrition for your baby? 
That's exactly right. It is a very overwhelming time. And even if you're a pretty, you know, laid back mom, I, I kind of consider myself a like, you know what, they're going <laughs> to, every, every kid has, you know, meets certain developmental mind, milestones at different times, right? It's so easy to freak out that, you know, one kid's walking and talking before the other kid kind of thing. But when it comes to nutrition and understanding that there are critical, you know, growth milestones and, and nutrients that they need at this time, you're not playing around, you know, this is, this is important stuff. And as well as the palate development, um, which I think, especially with your first baby, you're not thinking that far down the road very often. You're just thinking like, okay, I've got to feed my baby, you know, a, a variety of foods, but you might not realize how, what you offer them in these first few months is going to shape potentially how they eat for, you know, the next several years or for their lifetime, right? How they're trained to enjoy food and um, accept new flavors and uh, different textures and things is all, you know, formed very early on and can be very influenced by these early decisions. Yeah. And, and are there other reasons why nutrition is so important that first year? Well, absolutely. So we all, you probably heard, right, the first 1,000 days is the most critical window for growth and development, especially for the brain. Um, we know that there are a few really critical nutrients that are very often lacking in infant, um, either infant diets or they need, you know, just because their, their bodies aren't, are not, you know, producing it as much anymore. So for example, iron, right, that we know that the iron stores are naturally depleted at around six months or so. And we know vitamin D and omega-3s and DHA are so important for, for bone health and, and brain development and things. Um, but certainly the other factor that I sort of touched on before is beyond just the actual you know, nutrients that are needed at this, at this stage, we're looking at what dietary habits we're forming you know, for a lifetime, right? And we know that like research is showing us that only 10% of children are consuming the recommended amount of vegetables, right? This is a hu huge problem. Um, and we know that, you know, diets that are rich in, in especially green leafy vegetables can help to prevent chronic disease and obesity later in life. And that these, these dietary habits that they are, you know, forming early in their, in their infancy and in their childhood really do track into adulthood. So it's kind of thinking really far down the road, <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, but also trying to make these decisions that um, can really help shape um, their their relationship with food, their dietary habits um, really early on. Yeah, and where do you think that we miss the mark at, in the United States when it comes to feeding babies? Yeah, I, I think that um, a lot has changed. I was mentioning before, so much has changed in the last decade. I think you know, when, when we were babies and even, you know, up until about 10 or 15 years ago, it was either, you know, moms were making food at home and they were very likely, at least the stories I heard of, you know, I used to eat liver as a, right, <laughs> my mom yeah. used to feed me liver, right? <laughs> he always tells me that, um, which I could not bring myself to do, by the way, <laughs> such a cultural thing. Um, but you know, it used to be the Gerbers and the beach nuts that actually, you know, other than being, you know, shelf stable and goo and unappetizing and all the things and pretty simple um, from an ingredient standpoint, right? There was, you know, peas and carrots and potatoes and meats and grains, but there, 
you weren't seeing, you know, the diversity of ingredients that you see today. In general, what we're seeing now, and I think the biggest downfall of the baby food industry is that with innovation, so with these new pouches, came a whole like slew of new problems. So we know that the pouches are, um, you know, were developed by brands that had a lot better marketing, a lot better marketing game, right, than the Gerbers and the Beach Nuts that were really more of a kind of a commodity product and very straightforward, right? It was turkey dinner and it was, you know, um, just, you know, mashed green beans or whatever. As the new brands came to the market, we were really excited to see more organic and more kale and the quinoa and um, some healthy fats and, and some herbs and spices. But what we were also seeing was a lot more fruit-heavy purees and pouches, um, which I believe you know it ha- has happened for a couple of reasons. One, apples and fruit in general have a, a lower pH. And the pouches require a pH of about 4.6 or lower in order to, you know, get where they need to get from a kill kill step, you know, production standpoint, right? So that's something consumers don't know about, but that is one thing that's driving the amount of applesauce that is in products. And it's obviously just a cheaper filler than, you know, salmon and chicken and bone broth and avocado and all of these other ingredients, um, that we you know really want to be giving our kiddos, we're finding that when we cruise the aisle now, there is so much applesauce. It's like it's like astounding, you know. Even the the pouch brands, some of some of which have gotten a lot more transparent in their labeling, which I appreciate. They will actually call it apple, blueberry, blueberry and spinach, apple, carrot, and this, apple, this, and that. Um, but still, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot of applesauce, and not that you know apples are unhealthy. That's absolutely not, you know, the message we have fruit in, you know, almost every single one of our square meals. Um, but certainly it's, it's the balance of in where fruit lies in the, you know, the dietary pattern and, and a balanced diet versus leading parents towards believing that they're giving their kiddo all of these veggies and proteins and whole grains and, um, other ingredients when really very often there is a lot of applesauce or a lot of, you know, concentrated fruit purees within a little sprinkling of superfoods. Um, and so I'll pause there just because I, I want to not miss another big uh, point of, of what we're seeing in the baby food industry in the last uh, few years, which is, you know, as I'm sure you remember with, with your own kiddos, um, and I certainly remember these moments with mine, you know, pediatricians and the recommendations from the AAP used to be, do not give your baby an, an allergen. So do not give them peanuts, eggs, milk, um, until the ages of, you know, one, two, and three. Um, you felt as though giving them these foods would send them into an anaphylactic shock, right? Well, this, I, I remember being so scared to give my kid peanuts the first time at the age of two or so. Now we know with research that early introduction of allergens is incredibly important in reducing uh, food allergy uh, risk, right? So you can reduce the risk of peanut allergies by up to 80% by offering um, six grams of peanut protein per week. So just the thought of 
what a big deal food allergies has become, right? You know, in the recent decades, right? And that this is now something that we can help to prevent. But when you go down the the baby food aisle, or you look at some of these other direct to consumer, you know, fresh organic baby food companies, they're all touting allergen free. And so while you know, there's certainly going to be families who are looking for meals and products that are free of certain allergens, whether it's, you know, they're avoiding dairy because they are a vegan family or, you know, they're um, maybe they've already sensed uh, a food allergy. And so they are you know avoiding something for a certain reason. Certainly having allergen free options, I think, is important. However, we really need to be offering options that offer these top eight allergens to expose them early, um, four to six months being a really critical window to offer these allergens for um, food allergy prevention. Yeah, that's such an important point. And also, would you say that a lot of the baby food now, and we talked a little bit about this, but they're not really offering enough protein, enough healthy fats, enough spices, herbs and spices? Absolutely. So we're starting to see a little bit more of the herbs and spices and kind of cultural flavors that is so exciting, right? I think back to the peas, I always call it the peas and, peas and carrots era. <laughs> like, that was what we got in the puree form. And then, you know, as toddlers, it was the little diced peas and carrots that came out of the frozen section. Yeah. Um, and so we weren't exposed to beets and asparagus and all of these flavors that perhaps are a little stronger, maybe they're earthier or have more bitterness. Um, it's a lot easier, for example, to get, you know, a toddler to eat a sweet potato than it is to get, you know, them to eat asparagus. So it's, it is so important that we provide, you know, the various protein options. So certainly, um, with most of the direct to consumer, you know, delivered to your door, fresh baby food companies, we're seeing all vegan options and all allergen free. And if you think about it again, it's so great. We have, we have vegetarian options and we have vegan options for our families, but we also have options with organic chicken bone broth and salmon and eggs, um, and other proteins, a whole milk Greek yogurt that's unsweetened. And if you think about the nutrients that, um, babies are really needing at this stage with the, you know, the heme iron and the vitamin D and the omega threes, each of those is found within unsweetened yogurt, eggs, seafood, you know, poultry, meat. So it's also critically important, not just from a palate development standpoint, but from a nutrition standpoint that we offer these options um, for our babies. Yep. Great. Well, we're going to head to a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the marketing tactics that companies use to target parents. If you want mealtimes to be easier and less stressful, getting your kids in the kitchen to cook is one of the best things you can do. I know it's really encouraged my kids to eat their vegetables and try new foods, and it's given them a ton of confidence in the kitchen. But if you don't know how to cook or you don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. This course was created by a mom of four and former elementary school teacher, and it's designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. With Kids Cook Real Food, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like Tex-Mex white bean dip and homemade pizza. The course is designed for all kids ages 2 to teen and has three different skill levels. 
Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, and safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that my kids made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you're trying to cut down on processed foods and get your kids to eat more real whole foods and become healthy, adventurous eaters, then the Kids Cook Real Food e-course is for you. You can sign up for the course by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. So in our last segment, we were talking about baby food and how some companies are bringing in more herbs and spices and different types of vegetables. But I think one of the things that the industry as a whole um, is leaning towards, and it I think that it's definitely problematic, right, is that baby food is being marketed to parents at when their babies are around that four month mark, right? And that's really not when they should be starting to eat baby food. Is that right, Katie? Yeah. So um, certainly the, the AAP recommends breastfeeding for at least the first six months, right? And breastfeeding exclusively until six months. Um, you know, of course, not, not every, you know, mom is, is able to do that. Um, but what we're also seeing is this kind of conundrum of we want to stay, you know, breastfed or, or kind of um, save solids for, for after six months. But we're also seeing this window from a food allergy perspective of this four to six months being a critical period as well. So whether or not um, you're utilizing a, there are some powdered allergen companies like Ready Set Food or Spoonful One that offer allergen introduction in a powder format that, uh, that you can put into breast milk or formula, I think that's a really good option to start your baby out before that, um, that four month period. But, uh, but yes, I mean, I think babies hit developmental milestones at different times, uh, whether or not they're ready to, you know, sit in a chair and, and hold up their head, whether they're, um, able to, you know, take food from a spoon, um, whether they're really ready and, and interested in food. So whether that exact six month time is perfect for your baby. I think it's so important to talk to your pediatrician and just listen to your own, your baby's cues about their readiness. But I do think that it is, you know, important to, um, you know, follow those AAP recommendations as much as possible, you know, breastfeed as long as you can, as long as you're able and if you're able, um, and, and to wait until that six month time for the solid food introduction. Yeah, those are all great points. And so let's talk about the big picture here, sugar. So why do manufacturers include added sugars in baby food? And why do we really need to be paying attention to this? Oh, great question. So so baby food, as we think about what baby food is, um, you know, the, the, the jars in the, uh, in the baby food aisle, the, the purees, for the most part, there's very little added sugar in those. I mean, I haven't found one in a while, in a while. Um, sometimes there are fruit juices that are added, which is just a very tricky way of basically having an added sugar. And I think that's, that's pretty terrible. Um, but baby food, 
I think the main problem is that applesauce, you know, and the fruit heavy, very concentrated purees that are leading those ingredient statements and leading, you know, um, the recipes there. I, I think that if, even if, you know, added sugar was completely banned in infant purees, it is possible that the industry wouldn't change very much because as long as there's no caps on or recommendations or guidance on balanced nutrition and, you know, uh, how much fruit uh, should be a part of each meal and the masking of veggies, these are sort of the bigger problems that I see. And again, I do not want to demonize fruit at all. I think fruit is delicious and nutrient dense and you know, contains amazing phytonutrients just like vegetables do. But what we're seeing is, which America does a really great job of, is, you know, the sweetness and the taste profile of foods that are marketed towards kids is not doing them a favor as far as offering the balanced nutrition, but really helping their palate to develop, to enjoy the variety of flavors. So the umami flavors or spicier bitterness of, of vegetables, um, the different herbs and spices, earthiness of beets and other root veggies. I think it's so important and critical to let veggies shine and make sure that not every product is, you know, drowned in applesauce or sweetness, right? Because you're really not getting a, a baby exposed to these foods if they are being drowned out by the, the sugary fruits. But certainly from a business standpoint, I'm sure, I don't want to speak on behalf of these companies that are making decisions, but when I see fruit, fruit, applesauce, applesauce, applesauce on their products, we know that's for a reason. You know, there's an economic reason behind it. It is a cheaper filler and some of those other, you know, healthy proteins, healthy fats, green veggies, et cetera. Um, you know, and that, and that pH that they're, they're looking for from, from a pouch standpoint. Now, when it comes to toddler foods, it's a huge problem. And I think what, what is so sad <laughs> as a parent, right, is that we lean on these conveniences so much. It, I mean, parenthood in general is so overwhelming and we are so busy and we're trying to do all the right things and be the best parent and, you know, wear all the hats and perhaps even baby, the baby food time can be an easier time to be making food at home because you're not running off to birthday parties. You know, you've got your, 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 you have your attention is a little bit more, um, you know, potentially like at home versus crazier kind of on the go lifestyle. But you think about when you transition from purees and baby food onto toddler foods, now you're looking at the puffs and the melts and the bars and the crackers and, you know, just trying to get, trying to look for what is convenient and something that um, your baby slash toddler can eat, right? I mean, you can't, when they're going from you know, the puree stays trying to take on table foods and you're trying to give them, you know, use, a, um, use their hands a bit more, right, to self-feed. You, you have to be mindful of the, of the texture, the size, the choking hazard. And so these products that you feel like are approved for baby, like the puffs and the yogurt melts, it's like, okay, I need something convenient. This says organic. It's saying all the right things. Um, but they can be really disappointing when you kind of flip over the package and look at it. And I want to give you two little examples. 
um, of this. So one is a, uh, it's a happy baby organic Greek yogi. So we've all seen these. We've all get, you know, many of us have given them to our kiddos for those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in a pinch. I, you know, just need that convenient on the go snack and I need to keep my baby, you know, entertained basically, right? Like at the, at the high chair while I'm, you know, making them the rest of their food. So this product is marketed as blueberry and purple carrot Greek yogis, which is saying all of the right things. Okay. Blueberries are super healthy. They're getting purple carrots and Greek yogurt. Um, it talks about it being organic and wholesome and providing protein. And then when you look at the ingredient statement, um, it's reduced fat milk, which that's okay. And then apple puree. It's like, okay, well, what's, what's apple puree doing there? Then there's some other milk powder, then organic sugar, and then less than 2% of organic blueberry. And then a couple ingredients down, down the path there are organic blueberry flavor, and then carrot puree. So carrot is literally used on this package to make you feel as though you've given your kiddo a fruit and veggie yogurt snack when you've really just given them, you know, a kind of more milk forward, apple saucy, sugary snack that happens to have a little bit of blueberry um, you know, puree and, and a carrot puree that's really, you know, after the blueberry flavor, right? So it's just such a minuscule amount. So we're seeing this as well in the puffs that do, again, have, um, you know, added sugar and, and very, very little of the, um, the fruits and vegetables that they're touting on the front. So that's where it's like, you know, if, if we're going to give our kid a, you know, a a sugary snack, let's just know that it's going to be a sugary snack. That's not going to provide them a bunch of nutrition. Okay. I mean, at least I'll let a parent know what that food should be in their, you know, dietary pattern or their, um, you know, the share of their plate. Right. Right. But if we're marketing them as, you know, we're really, we're really taking advantage of that parent in that moment. And that's, that's where my frustration lies. That's like where the little fire starts in me where I'm like, I gotta, I gotta solve this for parents. I've got to do better. I've got to gain their trust. Right. And it's like, I think, not every, you know most parents are probably not reading labels the way you and I may and <laughs> and so it's sort of almost no surprise that we're raising a generation of kids who are just hooked on sugar and have that sweet preference for everything right and 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 on top of that they're picky eaters so we can't really be surprised right that's it's so true and it's such a hard ship to turn around right so you um, you have this kind of window of time when they're infants and, and sure, they might turn their head and spit it out the first 10 times you, you, you know, offer new foods, but you have a pretty captive audience, right? They're not going to walk away from you. They're, they're not at that stage yet. They're sitting in their high chair. They're, you know, not arguing with you yet or negotiating over if I eat this, you know, piece of broccoli, then what do I get? They're the baby, right? So you have this little window of time where you can really help shape that palate. And then if you you know either missed that window and now you're trying to start introducing some of these veggies and other um, you know foods flavors proteins etc it becomes harder because that that baby has now become a toddler who does have you know a, that sense of independence and you know a lot more um, determination of of what they will and won't eat and I think it it becomes very very challenging as a parent especially if maybe you now have, you know, a a baby and a toddler in the house and you're trying to cook 
all the meals and get your kiddos to eat all the right things. And at some point you've got to figure out, you know, what sword you fall on and what, you know, what you throw your hands up in the air and say, oh my gosh, I'm just trying my best. Fine. You know, eat the puffs, <laughs> right. have the, you know, have these things because at the, you know, we can't, it's impossible to do all the things perfectly. So we do need to rely on companies for convenience. And we do want to trust that, that there, you know, can be healthier options that do help to guide their palates. Yeah. And I think one of the things that often steers parents in the wrong way is the word organic, because we always equate that with healthy. And Mm -hmm. you you were quoted in an article, I'll link to it in the show notes in Food Navigator. And you said, many organic pouches marketed as healthy have more sugar than a donut. Wow. That is just really, right, compelling. (laughs) It is. So, right. So this all came about because, um, We, so we, as a startup company, right, we have a pitch deck, we're talking to investors all the time. And I would tell the story about the sugar and baby food. And if they, you know, weren't quite understanding it because they didn't have, you know, they 30 years out of having a baby or whatnot, it wasn't until I, I I showed the nutrition profile of a bowl of Lucky Charms (laughs) up against a, a fruit and veggie touting baby food and said, which one's the bowl of Lucky Charms? And based on the nutrition facts panel, Lucky Charms actually looked better because it had a little bit more protein than the baby food did. <laughs> wow. So, so yes, I think that, you know, and again, this wasn't added sugar. This was just a whole lot of applesauce and, and fruit heavy or um, very concentrated purees. But the point being, you know, we products can be marketed in a way that do make parents feel as though they're very, very healthy you know, whether it's organic, you know, you can have organic cane sugar, you know, all day long. That's not, you know, it's not a healthy food in moderation. Absolutely fine as, you know, part of our total diet. But, um, but we, but we need to be really careful of how we market products and, and not mislead customers into feeling as though they've given their baby something that they're actually not. Yeah. And and so in 2019, the WHO urged for a ban on sugar and baby food. And so if that does happen, will it affect the U.S. market? So that's such a good, such a good call out and such a great question. So I looked a little bit deeper into this. And um, it, so how it reads, or how at least I read it, is that it's going to be for um, foods aimed at children under the age of three. So that's much um, larger, obviously, than just the baby food market. But it also says that it's going to limit fruit juice concentrate and fruit puree, especially in savory foods. So I actually really like this focus. It'll be interesting to see how it is defined and implemented. Because I think that, you know, added sugars are a huge issue in, in the toddler products as we were just talking about. But if we just ban added sugars in baby food, and de- de- depending on how baby food is defined, it might not make a big difference. Now, I think about other foods targeted towards baby, like a um, infant yogurts. That's another big one for me. It's like they are so packed with sugar, and this is the time where a baby would absolutely have, you know, the whole milk Greek yogurt with, you know, mashed up, you know, fruits and veggies in it or something. It does not need to be a sweetened um, yogurt, especially to the extent that they are. But it's interesting to think about. If limiting fruit juice concentrate and fruit puree does happen, how do they really define that? And if 
um, and if it's the focus is on savory foods, then I think that there is a big possibility for some important change here. And that is if a product is marketed as a savory food. So if this is, you know, um, chicken dinner or uh, something that, you know, says avocado and green bean or whatnot all over it, you think that you're giving your child a very savory food. But if, if that food is then dominated by the fruit puree, you're not actually giving them the savory, you know, uh, low sugar meal that you're hoping to give them. So I do think it could have a huge effect on the U.S. market. Absolutely. Um, the new USDA guidelines just came out um, for birth to 24 um, with a, a recommendation of no added sugars for, I think it was food for, yeah, for under two years old. So I think that if that, you know, becomes more than just a recommendation, certainly there's going to be a lot of companies scrambling to reformulate foods like these puffs and these melts and the bars and things that are loaded with added sugar. Right. And I kind of think that a lot of those companies may just go out of business, right? Because they are not going to have the same profit using I mean, more expensive, Well, that, right? that's an interesting, yes, that's an interesting angle is that there will be implications down the road. Let's hope and pray, you know, that the larger companies of the world with all the funds <laughs> that you can dream of, right? We're a tiny startup. Um, so I would love to have the marketing dollars and, dollars and the R&D dollars to go out there and tackle this. So let's hope that they are not only thinking about what's ahead from a trend standpoint or from consumer needs standpoint, but really from an infant health and doing what's right for the baby. We, know, we, we can't pretend we don't know what's going on. You know, we are, we are educated people who, you know, these companies know exactly what they're doing from a marketing perspective. So I would hope that we would start to see some change, but certainly I would rather than see them go out of business. You know, if they need to raise their prices by 20% in order to provide a better nutrition, I think there's a lot of parents that are willing to pay a little bit more for something that's better for their baby. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about bitter vegetables and if babies will actually accept them. If you have picky eaters, you're not alone. And as a mom of two, I totally get it. But through the years, as both a journalist and a mom, I've discovered the secrets to raising kids who love their veggies and will eat just about anything. And I want to share what I've learned with you in my free ebook, 15 Secrets to Raise Healthy Eaters and Put an End to Picky Eating. This book is filled with evidence-based real-life strategies that will help you raise healthy eaters without sneaking foods, bribing, negotiating, or making food into art projects. To get the book, just go to julierevelant.com and click on freebies. So Katie, let's talk about this idea that babies won't accept bitter foods like certain vegetables, right? We always tend to introduce the fruits right away. And so is that true? And is it really important to be introducing more bitter or savory vegetables? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So, you know, we know that babies are um, predisposed to want to look for sweet foods. So it's the kind of the evolutionary um, need to uh, look for calorically dense nutrition and, and breast milk certainly has a, a sweet um, taste profile. 
So this is just innate in babies to, you know, to enjoy that sweet flavor. That said, we also know that four to seven months is when babies are most willing to accept new flavors in food. So this is the time to be offering. So if we say, um, you know, that we're going to really concentrate on this kind of six to seven month as a, as, as a really magical little window, because if we're waiting until six months, six months to offer the, um, the, the foods to start, um, it's so important early on to offer as much variety to your baby during that time. So it's, it's different flavors, it's different textures, it's, um, potentially cooking things in different ways. It's roasting, it's steaming, it's, you know, offering raw where raw is, you know, appropriate, um, and safe. Um, but certainly babies can learn to love veggies. Um, so in fact, we are a part of, and so proud to be a part of partnership for a healthy our America's, um, shaping early pellets initiative. So we're one of the founding inaugural partners, and we have just developed a campaign called veggies early and often and put out, um, a white paper that really talks about why veggies uh, early and often is so important. And it's not to say that vegetables need to be, you know, the very first food you give your baby. There shouldn't be pressure on parents to be so prescriptive that, you know, if you offered three fruits before you offered a vegetable, have you screwed it all up? Absolutely not. (laughs) This is totally about the variety. Um, And if you miss that six to seven month window, you know, no big deal. This is, you know, a, a great little magical time, but of certainly the next several months, especially next 18 months are so important to offer, um, veggies and other proteins, healthy fats, and a variety of foods early and often. We know as parents, this can be, you know, it's like one of those easier said than done things, especially when you're exhausted and your baby's exhausted and you just want to get them to eat. Right. (laughs) right? And they're turning their head and spitting it out. And (laughs) I absolutely remember this actually with my first kid opened his mouth like a little bird and took every little bite of food I gave him. And I was like, oh my gosh, isn't this magical and so fun? <laughs> you know, the feeding hour, I came home from work so exhausted. And it was like, my, you know, little bit of time I had with him, I felt like each day and it was just amazing. Right. And then my second child turned his head and, and either refused the spoon or spit it out for the first two weeks. And it was like every evening, you know, I, I tried the same you know, calm, but excited energy, you know, I was being so thoughtful about kind of trying to switch it up and understanding, you know, that, um, you know, that so many factors play into whether they're ready or whether they want this food or if they're going to accept it. But just remembering how hard that was on me emotionally, I think, because I also was so excited about that milestone, you're ready for the win, you want to see them, you know, enjoy it, have their eyes open wide, all of the things. But that moment was such a good learning experience for me to remember that you just got to keep trying, you know, they will learn to like the food. Um, and my other little anecdote that I always think about is, so I was a really picky eater growing up. It's like, it's embarrassing. (laughs) I used to write lists of foods that I would eat for my parents. And it was like mac and cheese, um, green beans out of a can, frozen corn, noodles with no sauce. I, I was absolutely that kid, my poor parents. And as an, um, uh, like young adult decided, oh my, this is lame. I've got to start being able to put like a tomato on my sandwich. Right. So I started basically flavor training myself at the age of like 18. Um, 
pretty hilarious. But beets being one of those things that I was like, those are disgusting. No way. And my dad would always order a beet salad. And so I started to try beets and started to love them. And now, you know, beets are one of those things that like every time I see it on a menu, it's like, oh, well, of course I've got to have the beet salad. So when we were designing our menu for Square Baby, I was like, well, I, we have to have beets on the menu and it has to be a prominent flavor. It cannot be like one of many veggies. It needs to be the only veggie that's in that meal. And it needs to be very forward, like the first ingredient, a celebrated earthy flavor. And lo and behold, so we developed this beet berry um, meal that has beets as the first ingredient, then strawberries, um, whole milk, Greek yogurt, and, and oats. And my now nine-year-old, when we launched the company, he was six, um, chugs this beet berry. He's like, mom, did you make bayberry today? <laughs> wow, that's great. And and he now requests beets on his strawberry shortcake, which is the same baby that turned his head every two weeks and spit out food. So there are those little wins. Not everyone's going to be like that, right? That are worth, worth you know, continuing to try. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to stay consistent with it. They will come around. So what should parents look for when they're walking down the baby food aisle? Absolutely. So um, certainly, well, first I would say um, there are a lot of companies now that will deliver food to your doorstep like Square Baby. So check out, you know, do do your Googling and look for other options that are that then are just at the store. But certainly, you know, it it uh, it has changed. Um, and I think part of that being the allergen introduction piece that I was bringing up earlier, um, you should be looking for uh, a rainbow of colors, right? Just like what we think about when we feed our toddlers, that can be a great visual cue that you're giving your baby a variety of foods is if you see, you know, you have reds and oranges and yellows and different shades of greens and purples, you know that you've given them a diverse um, array of nutrients, which is really important. I would aim for, you know, healthy fats like avocado and salmon, um, other nutrients that are hard to find. Biotin, for example, is a really important nutrient that's found in eggs. Eggs is, are one of those really super amazing foods for babies that have, um, you know, a lot of a lot of great nutrition in them and and pack a great punch. Um, but in general, I would look for truly balanced nutrition. Um, so you're going to just have to flip over the package. You know, look at the ingredient statement. It's great if if veggies can be the first ingredient when you're thinking about what. Uh, nutrition recommendations are for this stage. And even if you think about, um, you know, the my plate for adults, right? It's, you know, half of your plate should be fruits and veggies. Um, vegetables being a, a primary ingredient is, is really important. Um, and, and just look at the sugar content and try to think about, you know, how that plays in their overall diet. So certainly if you want to, you know, we have a, a mango puree and a peach puree for, you know, single ingredient meals in which, um, if you want to give your baby, you know, um, some of these foods, foods to try and to get to learn to love. But when you're looking at a balanced meal, truly look for, you know, a good ratio of, of fat and carbohydrates and, um, fiber, um, no added sugar and protein, um, just as you would for yourself, really, when you're looking at a healthy meal. Yeah, that's great. So why don't you go ahead and tell me more about Square Baby? What is it exactly? What can parents expect? How does it all work? Okay. 
So we developed Square Baby. So my, my co-founder, Kendall, and I, we have five kids between us. Um, I was the, you know, the working mom, as I was talking to you about, and Kendall was the mom who made all of her meals from scratch because she, she too felt like, you know, nothing in the aisle um, was what she really wanted to, to feed her baby. So we really solved for every pain point that we felt when, when feeding our kiddos. So as I kind of mentioned in the very beginning of, of this episode, um, it wasn't that just I wanted to create a better product or a healthier meal um, or you know, even just the most nutrient-dense option out there. It was to create a solution for parents. And so what I did was I, kind of knowing that infants eat baby food kind of during this finite period, but you kind of have their attention from a, from a food intake standpoint in this puree stage. And so I developed a meal system that offers 100% daily nutrition. So every recipe has been designed to be interchangeable. So there's, there's no guesswork. There's, you know, it's very, very foolproof. But essentially, I took the USDA and AAP recommendations for infants and then created this recipe system in which any three meals, for example, for an 8 to 12-month-old offers 100% of their daily veggies, fruits, grains, and protein. And then, of course, we also offer healthy fats and um, herbs and spices for palate development. Um, so that kind of like covered off our need to take away that guesswork and that that worry of, have I given my kid the right amount of the right foods today? So making that really simple for parents. Um, allergen introductions, another thing we're very, very proud of. We're the only baby food company offering um, each of the top eight allergens as an option. So we have a peanut pumpkin pie that actually was developed to offer uh, two grams of peanut protein per serving. So I mentioned before that they need six grams of peanut protein per week to get to that 80% reduction in uh, peanut allergy risk. And so again, we kind of want to take that next step further and not just put peanuts in our meals, but take the science and the research and apply it to our product. So that two gram is uh, protein is the amount that is recommended per serving for the food allergy prevention. Um, we have almond butter and banana, coconut shrimp, fried rice, salmon mash, all of these amazing, you know, foods and flavors that, you know, are introducing them to that variety that you're looking for. Um, but also the, the allergen introduction that's so important during this stage. They're made fresh. That's an important part of our business too, is that the meals are made fresh, um, immediately frozen and then delivered to your doorstep. So what we're finding is that we're certain, you know, we're certainly taking customers that, you know, used to be, um, buying the pouches or the containers at the store, or even some of those that were getting, um, you know, the other meals delivered to their doorstep. But we're also, um, really pleasing that parent that needed to make all of their food at home. So now we offer 23 different meals that, that can be delivered to your doorstep and filled up in your freezer. So it just gives you that variety that would be impossible to make at home by yourself. Yeah. What I love about the menu is that you offer fish, which is really important because, you know, research is showing that babies and kids just aren't getting those nutrients. Um, I think that's really important that you've introduced that. And also beans, because we know that, you know, plant-based foods are really important. And so where is uh, Square Baby available? Is it nationwide? Are you, do you have plans to roll it out? So, so squarebaby.com is our um, platform for ordering. 
Um, and we do have some exciting news. So we, we launched three years ago. Um, we had to be very regional at that time because we were limited by our commercial kitchen facility and how much we could produce basically. So we have, um, grown very organically, um, as we've not really been able to do very much marketing, um, really because we were getting enough customers, um, that we couldn't really keep up with that demand. So it's a very good problem to have, but, um, we are in the midst of scaling all of our production so that we can be national, um, early 2022. So, um, this has been, you know, it's a ton of work for my co-founder and I, but we're so excited to finally be able to, you know, service all the families and send boxes all over the country versus saying, you know, we can only ship to eight states on the West Coast. We're so sorry. Um, but we, you know, just really outgrew that that commercial kitchen setting. So we are very, very excited. I just feel so grateful um, to be able to scale this business. That is so exciting. And so listeners can find you at squarebaby.com and then on social media as well. That's right. So check out at squarebabyfood is our Instagram um, as well as Facebook. Great. Well, Katie, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Julie. I learned so much in that interview with Katie Thompson, and I hope you walked away feeling more equipped to find healthy options for your baby. I'd love to hear what you liked about this episode or any of the episodes. All you have to do is go to julierevelant.com, click on the episode and record a voicemail. Also, be sure to go into Apple Podcasts and leave a review and a rating so we can reach more people. I'm Julie Revelant, and thank you for listening to Food Issues. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com and on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.